And if they're at all happy where they are and what they've become, from selling out to doubling down, let's talk punk rock business and what happens when the two get all mixed up. Here is your host, Bill Florio. Yo, this is Bill Florio. Yo, this is MC Charlie Boswell. Hey, it's Dave Harrison. All right, so we got Robert Collins. He's a rigger and a union president. I learned a lot today. I feel like this is a world that I know almost nothing about. You knew about the rat. <laughs> I know about unions in general, but I feel like, you know, especially when it comes to conventions and things like that, I mean, that's a whole world that just seems incredibly intricate and fascinating. And, and the fact that, you know, you don't think about that kind of stuff, how much, it go, how much goes into putting on events like that that uh, are so temporary, but, you know, take weeks and months of planning and, and, and hard work. And, and Robert's one of those people that's that's behind it and kind of helping to to make all that happen. Yeah, these, these big conventions, I think I asked that it, it was like, so you basically do a World's Fair every other week. And it's that's nuts. Yeah. And it's, and, it sounds and, and like you, it's very hard work, too. Exactly. And you know what? It seems like on the surface, it seems like it would be like the least punk rock thing in the world. But it sounds like the way that he explained it, it's super punk rock and, and it, it attracts a lot of people accordingly, you know, a lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of punk rockers accordingly to the, to the gig. Well, it's, 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 it's one of the few perks I've ever heard of like, <laughs> it's a punk rock where you actually can make a career out of it somehow. <laughs> but he said, he said there's like 40 punks in the union in San Francisco. So, and, and it didn't Enough, sound no like, signs it, ever didn't get sound, it sounded like a high percentage to me. Yeah. <laughs> That sounds like no signs will ever get hung. They get hung. I've been I've been to these events. They they are and it's like there is everything is perfectly placed and it looks like, you know, it was made to last, you know. Well, you heard him. He was critiquing other people's work yeah. in other cities. <laughs> I mean, I, I think I have a picture of me and I'm sitting in a jet plane that was built and placed on the convention floor. Well, people do crazy stuff. I mean, I've seen people like I've had clients, like I said on the show, you know, I've had clients who do shows like this and they'll pay a fortune. They'll have like custom furniture made, which I mean, we could probably talk to, to Ari about that. I'm sure he's done stuff for conventions, you know, but like they, they spend a fortune on these things that are meant to last a day or two. Yeah. I don't know where they end up, but I don't want to Chicken know. John. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, it was also pretty fun. <laughs> so, all right, let's roll the tape. All right. We start this podcast with you introducing yourself and telling everybody what you do for a living. My name is Robert Collins. I am a union trade show installer. Cool. So you're not originally from San Francisco, right? No, I'm. A, I mean, from, I'm from a, either Texas or Oklahoma, depending on where you uh, count when you're where you're from. You know what I mean? Uh, I, I was a teenager in Oklahoma. Uh, moved out here, moved to LA first, then moved to San Francisco in '95. So, I mean, was there any reason for that other than I grew up in you, Oklahoma? <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty, pretty straightforward, man. <laughs> 
<laughs> so anywhere but there. <laughs> I mean, it was, e- it was east, west, or south. <laughs> those, those are the options that I had available to me. And uh, now the band I was in at the time uh, moved to, uh, like, people just kind of moved piecemeal one at a time out to San Francisco. And uh, so I, I joined them and um, we got the band back together. So, cool. So that, yeah. that was kind of like the Econo Christ of Oklahoma. Um, I certainly do not want to put um, <laughs> that band or any other band I was or have been involved with on that sort of a pedestal. <laughs> I'm just saying they, they all moved from like Alabama or something, right? No, yeah, or the, Arkansas. Yeah, Arkansas. Yeah, yeah, Econo Christ was Arkansas. I mean, believe me, when like when we were still in Oklahoma and you get the Grimple 7-inch, and they're talking about partying at that punk house in Oakland called Little Arkansas, which was Economist's house. All of us are like, oh, man, there's hope. We can get out. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, just wanted to establish that. (laughs) But yeah, I've been in California since uh, since 90, well, San Francisco since 94, and I had a six-year stint in uh, in Milwaukee in the early thousands. Moved back here in 2008. Tell me a little bit about your job, like your work, and and what does it entail? Sure, sure, sure. I feel like conventions are this weird, like dark industry that nobody knows anything about unless they attend them or set them up. Um, but it's, I mean, it's everything from a concrete convention to a whole bunch of welders meeting in Louisville, hypothetically. Or like massive, large-scale corporate events for you know for all the all the big name tech companies and in the, in the Bay Area, a lot of the work is centered around some of the corporate events, just because you know Google's here, Apple's here, Facebook is here, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a whole bunch of work for folks like that. So I mean, we take a big ass hole in the ground or an empty building and we turn it into a miniature city in three or four days. And then two or three days later, we take it all out and we do it for somebody else after that. So it's like a world's fair, like every other week. <laughs> for some of the events, it certainly seems that way. <laughs> the, thing, the, thing, the things people eagerly want to spend money on kind of blow my mind from time to time. But <laughs> So I've seen, I've seen a little bit of this on my job's end because we'll work with clients and they'll, they'll, have, they'll do a convention or, or they'll be part of one and they'll have to build a booth and whatever. And it seems like the spend on that is never worth what they get in return. Hey, 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 hey calm down now. <laughs> <laughs> so who's, but who's getting rich off of this? Who's getting rich off of also, conventions? Dave, your whole industry feels that way. Well, everything's, I mean, <laughs> it just seems like all that stuff is kind of just a loss leader. Like it's like they have to show face at the, whatever convention because that's what they're part of you know their industry there's definitely some of that as well and and for some of the for some of the the larger corporate events i'm i mean i'm guessing that a lot of it is just a tax write-off as well um you're you're doing something to you make make yourself look like you're a badass you can close down half of the city and take it over with all of your employees or your fans and then you get to write it all off like you don't actually make any money doing it well as far as the the actual the industry specific shows a lot of it, it's it's just it's just a way for people to press flesh, man. Like I don't know what that actually turns into on the uh, whether or not it turns into a return for the people involved. They're still doing it, and there's and they're still lining up to do it. So hopefully they are. We also get well, one time I had a booth for coupon surfer at this event, and we had nothing to give out. Everybody's giving stuff out. You should have raffled off a surfboard. No, so we went out. We went out. Uh, you know, we were by the pier. You know, and we walked out to like Tenth Avenue. And there was some guy selling fruit. So we bought a couple of pounds of cherries. And we came back. And then, you know, when you go to these events and they have breakfast and they put out a freaking big, like, you know, silver bowl of, of ice, you know, it's or even the drinks in it. So that was like leftover on one of the carts. So I grabbed that and we filled it up with all these cherries. 
And everybody was commenting, oh, you have the best best looking booth here. Big, big metal ball of cherries. What was the competition like? It was all these internet companies, you know, e-commerce. Which which convention was this? It was LinkShare. It's LinkShare show. You know, LinkShare now. It's Rakuten affiliate marketing. That's, that's, there's a real irony. CouponSurfer.com, by the way. That's who bought this. <laughs> Get it. Pick up a cherry. When you see <laughs> people spend 72. all this money on their booths and everything else, and then, like, when you get to the actual show, it's it's really the 20-year-old girl in a bikini out front who's handing out the literature that people care about or the cherries or the free stuff or whatever, the free bouncy balls of lights. Yeah, one time I got a free devil dog. <laughs> that wasn't at a convention, though. That was probably Yes, it was. It was, at, it, was, it was at the freaking internet convention. Oh, and you make fun of me for going to Fancy Food Fest. No, I don't. I, don't, I, I do make fun of you because you didn't get any devil dogs there. Char- <laughs> Charlie, so, Charlie's leading into the most controversial question I have. Well, no, I, I, I want to say first, I did. Uh, one Is there of, a controversy involving devil dogs? <laughs> there was a client, speaking of what Robert just said, there was a client I had once, and I can talk about this because they're, they're out of business now. They were a, a, a vaping company, and they paid $20,000 to have Carmen Electra show up at their booth. Like, she just, like, they flew her in. She like walked up to the booth and like stood there and it was all meant to be like she just casually stopped by this vape company's booth at their convention and, and then started she left. vaping. Yeah, yeah she, she seems like a vapor to me. <laughs> <laughs> That's the one from Daredevil. Didn't you mean Daredevil dogs? Is that what Tom <laughs> was? Okay, so I have the most controversial question of the podcast. Are Twinkies banned at the Moscone Center? Not Devil dogs not- better not be banned. Oh, I'm not going. <laughs> Not to my knowledge on Twinkies, but then again, I can't think of ever seeing a Twinkie in Moscone Center. Do you know what I'm talking about, Dave? <laughs> nobody knows what you're talking about because nobody read that book. Robert lives there, so he knows. <laughs> I li- hey, I put I put Bedtime for Democracy on just before we started this. It's fresh, it's fresh Moscone was murdered by the guy that used the Twinkie defense. Oh, okay. Gotcha. So he was able to stop the return bullets with his Twinkies? <laughs> yes. Do you really <laughs> not know about the Twinkie point. defense? Seriously? I know about the Twinkie defense. I didn't know uh, I didn't know the story behind it, and I didn't know that the center was named after him. I don't spend a lot of time in... Uh, Just watch the movie Milk. <laughs> oh, I didn't watch that. That's Sean, Sean Penn plays Harvey Milk, right? No, nah, I'm not going to watch that. Well, convention, <laughs> convention center is named after the mayor, though. Right. Not like the other guy. Sean Penn's a moron. <laughs> I went into the, uh, especially in San Francisco, I was in, I went to that restaurant that Sean Penn put a bullet through the wall. Did he not have a, a gun. cookie? <laughs> a gun. <laughs> one, one time Al harassed uh, Sean Penn and Madonna trying to make him buy a bug out society. Just say, yo. What was the pitch? They saw him walking, da- walked them walking down the street on the west side, like down Broadway or Amsterdam Avenue or something. And, they just like start harassing them. Okay, buy our record. Uh, that always no, works. No that special, always, no always works for me. Sales pitch that for the always works. Power couple, especially like outside uh, <laughs> in Union Square when everyone wants me to buy their hip hop CD. I'm like, yeah, uh, that, that always works. That. We started you that. Started what are you talking that. About? <laughs> we started that. We did. True. That was true. I when I go through Times Square, and I, I'm like, I started this. I was doing this in '92, and like, oh man, oh, you were early. Yeah, but, but, but a couple of years ago in Times Square, they were using that as an excuse to mug you. <laughs> We always want to ban like, people selling CDs on the street. That's the freaking record industry, freaking putting the little guy down. But it was like, buy my CD meant like, give me all your money in your wallet. <laughs> anyway, getting back into the, the actual work, there's like a lot of rigging, right? You're like hanging things up 
high up in the in the well, sky. That's, that's my that's my uh, the department, if you will. That's my my pro- my primary job is as a rigger or rigging foreman. Do you use a tagline? No, uh, to keep the sign from to keep a sign from spinning. Absolutely. Yeah, well, I saw these two guys yesterday putting up an on uh, on a, you know store sign awning over a store, and they had no tagline. They were like dragging it up and bumping into stuff. <laughs> so a tagline's like it's just when you drop it it doesn't fall to the ground Is no no it pull, pull it out it'll, like you know get it away from the wall oh okay <laughs> or also if you if you if you hang something from from one fixed point well then you got you you don't want to spin it around so you can tag it in two different directions of the ceiling to hold it in place so so like very are, exciting are, yeah no are, are rigging skills universal could you like work for Broadway for like a Harry Potter or Peter Pan musical or something like that? Like yeah, pretty, people pretty fly. Like the Spider-Man musical where they kept dropping people. <laughs> that, that was bad. <laughs> I bet they didn't have a tagline on that Spider-Man. Not the same union, right, Robert? Uh, definitely not the same union, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> in Spider-Man or Broadway. But no, this, the, 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 the skills are transferable. You just got to convince somebody that uh, this thing you used to do in a weird-ass convention center actually applies to whatever it is they want you to do. You know what I mean? Well, I met this guy who did rigging at one of the Broadway shows, and before he was doing it for like mountain climbing. Yeah, a lot, a lot, a lot of a lot of crossover there too. I mean, a lot of the equipment principles are at least similar, if not the same. I heard the guy that did the rigging for the Spider-Man on Broadway show went into mountain climbing afterwards, and now he's dead. Really? I gotta look this up. That guy definitely didn't fit in with the Broadway crowd. Though. <laughs> Has anyone ever done a convention about having conventions? Yes, that's one of my questions, Dave. <laughs> so sorry. Have, sorry you, have you been to it? Robert, have you been to the convention well, for conventions? I don't convention? attend the conventions. I just set, I just set the but convention. You should. You should. <laughs> that that would that would actually interest you. No, because it's not the, the, those conventions are for exhibitors at other conventions and industries they're associated with. They're not. They don't. They don't care about the workers, man. Come on. But what what is the they care about it when they like? want to get out of there when the last day they want to get their stuff they, packed up they, and they, out of there. They care about it when I'm on their clock, but other than that, they don't give a shit about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, well. I, I mean, I'm just trying to imagine what the banter is at that convention, because it's like there's a convention. Someone's actually designing that convention, and then everyone's criticizing it. Dude, they're the most boring ones. <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 just ten by ten booth spaces. There's no no, no like it's no frills on those uh, any of those events that I've that I've worked. They're the most bare bones shows. I think it's because they all know how much it actually costs, and they don't want to spend the money. <laughs> have, you, have you ever been to Meet the Breeds, that convention? I don't even know what that is. What's that, about Charlie? Dogs? That's what the thing you go to, and there's dogs. Every, <laughs> every breed of dog. And then you get to pet these dogs. Not furries, though. Not people dressed as... No, no, no. This is real <laughs> dogs. But you can't, like, if you ask, like, ask certain questions, they get, like, really mad. Like, there's conventions really, for furries, they're too. They're stuck up about their breed. <laughs> there's no mutts allowed. Have you done any events with live animals? Yeah, there's live animals. No, I'm asking Robert. Ask me what? Like, have you done an event where live animals where, like, the rigging might actually break and you get eaten by a tiger? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think the closest I've gotten to live animals is uh, goat yoga. (laughs) We're going to count that. (laughs) Counts. That's that's a thing. Counts. (laughs) And that's, I know you talk about, like, a bowl of cherries at your booth. Yeah. Well, now they're doing. (laughs) <laughs> now they're do- now they're doing goat yoga, so you gotta you gotta step up your game a little bit. <laughs> no, we, we don't do any goat, goat yoga. Go through those in like five minutes. Shoot <laughs> <laughs> a whole bunch of goats in a bowl of ice. Get everybody to your booth. Buy your coupons. <laughs> you get some fresh goat milk. <laughs> coupons are free, by the way. You don't have to buy them. 
Well, you're, you're clearly not marketing it effectively because there's a missed opportunity there. Charlie, uh, goatyoga.com is taken, but do goatyoga.com is available. <laughs> this place you work, it's like the Javits Center of, of San Francisco. It's a bigger. Yes, exactly like that. So part of your job, are you in charge of those plastic things they put on the ceiling with that tube that goes down into a garbage can to collect the water? No. Oh. Somebody <laughs> must have that job at the Javits Center. No, no. I, I think that has something to do with the mafia. <laughs> Right, well, they left a leak in the window on purpose. Bill, we can't talk about that. You're probably talking about house employees. You're probably talking about a different union entirely. Kind <laughs> of respect the division of labor, man. So you're also the president of your union. Is that correct? It's true. <laughs> you didn't mention that in what you do for a living. Uh, well, that's. I mean, the way the way our the way our officer structure is set up it has very little to do with my day-to-day working life there's a there's a pretty there's a there's a pretty strict separation between what i'm doing for and at work and my duties as president so that two things but one of them is i do for work and the other one i do for the union cool so uh, i want to i want to get to that but i also in new york get... city they would pay you full-time to do work for the union well i do get paid full-time when i work through the union but i don't get paid as president no in in in, in you get paid when you're working for the union, doing union work, do you get paid by, by, by your job? And we have business representatives who fill, who fill that role. Oh, yeah, but in, 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 in uh, New York City, if you work for the city and you're in a union like a transit authority, and then you're like a shop steward or whatever you are for the union, anytime you're doing union work, we're paying for you to do it. As, it sounds like it sounds like there's a. I think that's what I was getting to. There's a clear difference between your union and some other unions. Oh yeah, 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 totally. <laughs> I mean, there, there's, the. I mean, we are a local under the uh, International Union of, Painter, union of Painters and Allied Trades, and most of the unions in IUPAT are kind of like build, building trades: painters, glaziers, drywallers, carpet layers, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. There's a handful of locals that do. Uh, trade show work, but the the power structure and the duties of officers it's all laid out by the it's all laid out by the international. So it's just it's just not better or worse. Different ways of going about things. Most of the tasks that that you're talking about are taken care of by our business representatives and field representatives, and not by rank and file presidents or shop stewards. That's all. So you took you took the job that doesn't pay. Yeah, in purpose. addition to the one in addition to the one that pays. Pretty fucking stupid, right? <laughs> <laughs> I've already got a job that pays. Let's do this other thing that's way more of a pain in the ass and doesn't pay. How about that? <laughs> well, that sounds very punk rock to me. Oh, totally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for, for the most part, to get your job, you have to go through the union, right? And to get work, you have to go through the union. It's a union. Yes. It's mostly union yeah, yeah, shop. Yeah. So what did what was it like to get in? get your foot in the door? Well, I mean, so there's a whole bunch of punks that do what we do. We all started doing it at different times, but a lot of us were drawn in by the fact that you could go work a couple of weeks here and there, make some cash, and then go on tour. And then when you came back, you just go back to the back to the hiring hall and uh, go back to work again. You don't have to. You know, I mean, the old way of touring was you go on tour and you quit your job and you come back and you scrounge to find another shitty job until you go on tour again and you quit that one too. You know what I mean? <laughs> So this was, I mean, most of the most of the folks from from the punk world that we know who do this, that was one of the main appeals that you didn't have to work all the time, but the, there was always kind of access to work, and it, it grew into uh, it grew into a real job and a real career for like a lot of folks, which is which is awesome. I, I, I mean, I, I didn't go to college. <laughs> yeah, no, I think I think this is rare. You know, it's like that you you were part of this community, right? And it, it, 
And from my understanding, like, was it like Pat Wright, one of the Gilman Street guys, was one of the first guys there? Yeah, I, yeah, I mean, I, I, obviously, we like Pat's got to come up at some point in this conversation because, like, none of this exists like without Pat, just straight up. Pat Wright's from New York. He moved out to California in the 70s. He started doing work with 510 at some point in the maybe late 80s, early 90s. And um, sorry, 510 is our, is our local number. Pat was a, he was a DJ at Calex, the um, Cal Berkeley radio station in the 80s, and was instrumental in reopening Gilman after Tim Yo shut Gilman down in uh, 87. And uh, I mean, he was older than all of us, absolutely lent a huge hand to a ton of people um, to, to come on in, like saw it as an opportunity for, uh, that could help out a lot of people that he was around. And it, and it did. I mean, there's, if you look at the tree that started, that starts with him as a seed, there's easily 30 or 40 people that have like good, like respectable in quotes, um, careers, like with, you know, with benefits and with the pension and like with some kind of stability. And they're there, they're there because of Pat hundred yeah. percent. I mean, a lot of them were like climbing the wall at Gilman street, the cover the graffiti up or whatever right oh, for sure, I mean, for he, sure. saw, yeah. he saw them firsthand like oh that guy might be good i i saw him one like about three or four years well i, I got to tack a year onto everything because of covid so probably like four or five years ago he showed up to work one day with like like a just straight up tattoo face gutter punk that i had seen at gilman the weekend before cleaning up after the show they could so they could get in for free and he and, and introduced me to this girl and he's like yeah i saw her working real hard told her there was extra work and she called called the hall and got out as an extra and she fucking crushed it for a day she was awesome and then she like hopped a train and left town <laughs> <laughs> but i mean he was he was literally like reaching out to folks all the time because he saw like it was he saw it as an opportunity for people and uh tried to make sure that people knew that the opportunity was there like i, th I thank him forever man i'm eternally grateful so it's like a, it's like a softball team like some people come for a game and some people join the team <laughs> <laughs> you see you're saying there's 30 or 40 punks in the union so oh, like at least so when like people go like to shape up at the union hall there could be like 30 or 40 punks like sitting around there at one time and yeah for sure and then so like what happens if there's no work did you ever like they could just say well here let's have a show <laughs> <laughs> well so uh two years ago uh union the off we the union office moved and uh joined forces with a training facility so there's a warehouse which is a training facility for apprentices and offices are upstairs it's two blocks from my house and our training coordinator uh, is named Richard. He was the like he was the first rancid roadie. Richard the roadie. He's Richard famous. the roadie, exactly. So he's <laughs> he's he's our, he's our apprentice training coordinator. And uh, the number of times we've joked about using the warehouse space for shows. <laughs> so wait, so Richard the roadie's like the gatekeeper for the full time job, kind of. Uh, no, no, he's no, he's okay. He's not on the committee that gets people into oh, the okay, okay, but he's the one that that, that yes. makes the he judgment just, call. He like, just, he, you're, well, he you're, trained, you've done it. You've done a good apprenticeship. No, he trains. He trains them once per <laughs> and he's, he's the guy that signs off on their journey out test when they when they uh, when they go through the program. So yeah, that's awesome. I met his mom once. I've never met his mom. <laughs> <laughs> she lives. Well, I don't know if she's still alive, but she lives. She lives in Bath. No, you're thinking of Pete. Oh, I'm thinking of Pete the roadie. Sorry, I know Richard the roadie too, though. <laughs> well, they toured together. They toured together. It makes sense. <laughs> That's right. Right. <laughs> yeah, uh, Richard, Richard. Richard's mother's Richard, in Sacramento. <laughs> Richard, wait, Richard. Richard 
toured with the Citizen Fish guys too, doesn't he? Yeah, they both toured with Citizen Fish. Okay, that's why I'm so confused. Okay, I mean, Richard was uh, was Rancid, Paxton Quigley, Tragedy later on, Os Rotten, Noi Bloy, et cetera, et cetera. So, so, so yeah, <laughs> so this is crazy. There's all these punks in this one. I mean, what do the the other union guys think of this? Is, are they annoyed? Some of them think there's this like grand grand conspiracy that the punks are trying to take everything over. I keep trying to remind them that the punks are actually just trying to get shit done. <laughs> Do you think anyone's like picked up a guitar to try to get ahead? <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, to be fair, uh, like our local has like a pretty rich history of just freaks and outcasts in general. Like the same, the same reason that it appealed to us when we got in was like that, that you, you can also apply that to the hippies who got in in the, in the sixties and seventies and the hippies who got in in the eighties. There's, there's like, we've got artists and poets and painters and like, we're, we're, we're true freaks, man. It's pretty cool. <laughs> well, you also got. I mean, you have that appeal, though, too. It's like, hey, I can, I can disappear for three months and still have a job. Absolutely. Unfortunately, that appe- it also appeals to just general fuck ups. But I mean, what are you going to do? <laughs> yeah, but they don't last, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, so how did how did Stefan from the False Prophets get it? <laughs> uh, I think that Stefan came in while I was living in Wisconsin. So I don't know. I was still a member, but I would only work, come back and work a couple of shows a year because I don't remember seeing him at work before I moved away. But I remember, oh, I remember him when I came back for wait, sure. So wait, did he did he have the sixteen inch fingernails? No, fingernails, in the fingernails are gone. They fingernails were gone. gone. Okay. Yeah. What about the Hitler mustache? Hitler mustache gone. Uh, he does eat marshmallow fluff and white bread for lunch sometimes. <laughs> 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 All right. Represented New York City. Thank you, Stefan. <laughs> I ate a whole jar of fluff one time out of the jar. I'm, I'm, I'm on Stefan's team 100%, man. An absolute, legitimate, true freak in the most endearing <laughs> way. Like he's, like, he, he lives, whatever box you try to put him in, he is not going to fit. <laughs> <laughs> or a birdcage or anything else. <laughs> I think he's in the union, so he doesn't have to live in a box. <laughs> I remember when I, when I was on tour and I toured in 2002 and there was a, sh- uh, it was like an anniversary show for the, the roar New York city noise comp and false prophets played CBs. It was one of the only like two or three times I've ever, yeah, it was only one of our like two or three times I went to CBs, but we, we made sure we had a day off. Was that so the show with Kraut, Kraut playing? Yeah, yeah, honestly, yeah, it was yeah. False AOD, AOD? AOD played that show. We threw, uh, we didn't throw anything out of that, that show. They didn't ask George Tab <laughs> to play with False Prophets, did they? Uh, I don't think so. I don't think so, no. I know that False Prophets were so good that I kind of didn't even care about Kraut, which is saying something. False Prophets were just, they were so, so ungodly good that night. It was amazing. That's awesome. That's funny that I, I, we were all, so, you were at that show too, Charlie, weren't you? I was at that show too. I think I, I came late on purpose because the opening bands, I, I was very afraid I'd be depressed. <laughs> I don't remember who they were. Well, I noticed that none of you were at the show that I played at ABC earlier that day, so I noted. <laughs> <laughs> I might have been. Which band, which, which, band, which band did you play with? Uh, that would have been Artemis Pyle. <laughs> <laughs> Although I, I, I did play a show with Artemis Pyle in Portland, and there was a bunch of like scary skinheads guys who approached me and I quickly pointed to the fake skinheads behind me <laughs> in the van. <laughs> and I was like, I'm not with them. <laughs> was that, was that the Drew, the Jew driver yeah, show? The Jew driver yeah, show. Yeah, yeah. A lot of bagels that night. Yeah. And then, and then my favorite was uh, Sean from Jew driver. Uh, they, you know, they kept talking to him and, you know, it was, it was a kind of thing where it was like, um, we might've come here to beat you up, but we're not sure. And, <laughs> 
that that was how that that was how the, the greeting basically and and sean talked him into not meeting him up and then later that night i saw him and he's like this is the worst night of my life those guys in, invited me to their their mod dance pot party <laughs> well and you have to go or they're gonna beat you beat up you and your probably friend. yeah <laughs> So a lot of these construction jobs have this kind of like initiation and there's some sort of like level of like hazing, like humiliation. Did you experience <laughs> that kind of thing when you first started? Uh, no direct hazing. Just people treat you like you're an idiot. You don't know what you're doing. So do they do that more now or less? <laughs> Ooh, that's tough. <laughs> can I just can I just answer evasively and say it totally depends what old time you're paired up with? Because uh. I because I mean, because that's true. There were there were definitely people when I came in who were, you could see that you were new and would nurture you. So, hey man, this is how we get through this. This is is what we do here and so on and so on. Like actually like, you know, be a journey person and teach the people who are coming in. And there's other people then and now are like, oh, you're new? Fuck off. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what do you do? (laughs) I I really hope I'm in column A, man. (laughs) My, like my mental goal it doesn't always work, especially when there's new people involved. I want to treat every one of them like they're going to be my boss when I'm old and decrepit. Yeah, because, I mean, I'm a boss now, and I remember the people who treated me like shit when I was new. And I try not to let it affect how I deal with them, but, I mean, how can you not, you know? <laughs> uh, is there a lot of non-union competition in the city? Yes, tons. Interesting. So do you have your own rat? That's a, that was the next question. <laughs> we do not have our own rat. I kind of wish we did have our own rat. But um, usually, because our jurisdiction overlaps with several other locals, um, stagehands and electricians and teamsters, who are often working in the same facilities, and they've all got rats. So usually, if we're picketing a site, then they're picketing also, and we've got access to a rat. And worse comes to worse, the labor council has a rat that we can borrow. So we're good. (laughs) (laughs) So you could have multiple rats in that case. We could have multiple rats. It hasn't gotten that bad yet. Do you think you could convince Stefan to dress up like a rat? Yes. (laughs) Definitely. Without a doubt. (laughs) The first time I saw the rat, it was like across the street from my my house. Really? Was it your house they were working on? A residential rat? Yeah, yeah. It was the first time, like before I seen it anywhere. It was like in the late 80s or early 90s or something. And it was our building like across from my apartment. It was uh, this giant rat outside. I'm like, what the hell is that? What are the chances that somebody listening doesn't know what the rat is? I don't care. Probably pretty big. I mean, mean, if you listen to the show. If you you don't live in a big city, you probably don't see a rat. Well, also, the next question is, if they don't know, should we tell them or just make them research it? I didn't know what it was. when I I, I was, like, coming home and I saw a rat. I'm like, what the heck? Well, the thing that made me the happiest was one day someone told me that the the rat is named Scabby the Rat. So if you Google Scabby the Rat, that's uh, that's you'll get all the information you need. Look in the links, people. There's a lot of work putting these links together. Before, and nobody had, looks at them. We've talked about the rat before, too. That's <laughs> true. Uh, sure, I, I think I did bring up Scabby the Rat. Good, good, good. And, and so I heard a story that one... If it's been on here, everybody knows about it. <laughs> Obviously. I, I was told that one of the non-union you know, companies bought a booth at one of the one of the conferences that you guys are helping run. <laughs> and then you told the teamsters on them. This is one of your background research stories. Yeah, I'm so yeah. So right I, in, but I don't know maybe what it's the story about. you didn't know, but that, that, oh, that, was, that was the situation where it's like they had, you know, they're sneaking around or whatever, doing non-union work, but they showed up at the union convention, set up a booth. <laughs> We've had non-union contractors come in and like 
make up fake company names and like have a bunch of like scabs show up in like like, like work shirts, uniforms, looking like they're a, they're a signatory contractor. Like, who do you work for? And then they, they just make some shit up and you have to, I mean, it's, the people will try anything to get around. That might work with Local 3. <laughs> I don't know. Wait, what, happens if, what, happens when you dis- <laughs> what happens when you discover them? That's like the Warriors after they shoot What's-His-Face. Like, I you, you got to get out of there. <laughs> I, I, seen, I seen Local 3 fighting with each other. <laughs> I, I, w- I was at this site, and uh, this uh, Local 3 uh, electricians were up on the roof, and they had these uh, non-union riggers there. But they were, um, they were, uh, you know, they were with them. You know, they were watching. And then uh, the guy that ran the whole site, he came, came up on the roof, and he was. Freaked. I thought they were going to throw one of each other off the roof. Maybe he had it coming. <laughs> maybe, maybe this is a personal beef. <laughs> I'm going to stop the conversation for one second and tell you: if you enjoyed this conversation, there's tons more where this came from. For only $5 a month, you can get full episodes with each of our guests for a total of five episodes per month. Want to help out with some gas money to get us the next show? We have merch and more at killedbydesk.com. Now let's get back to the show. Here's a retro question. If you had all the skills and experience you had now and you went back to Gilman Street back, back you know, in the 90s, how do you think you would, you would have done things differently there? Ah. Probably would use a tagline. <laughs> I, I would I would suggest that you make sure nothing gets stored in the rafters. <laughs> <laughs> no deflect also because when you walk around and you see things hanging up, do you like oh, oh, always man. have that eye where it's like, oh my god, who did that? It's awful. All all, all the time. The fuck I mean like Gilman, not so much because honestly it was Pat and Richard who hung a lot of that stuff. So <laughs> grocery stores, department stores, anything hanging from a ceiling in a public setting, like I totally like airports is a big one. God damn. There's so much sketchy shit up in the air, up in the, up in the <laughs> airports. Like I'll, I'll be in public and I'll like look up and see something. I'm like, nah, I'm not going to walk under that today. So the airport is the worst place to walk and the most possibility of something falling from the sky and killing you. <laughs> and I've, I think I've seen more sketchy things at airports than any other place I can think of. <laughs> it's definitely a different union, though. Oh, it's probably not a union at all. <laughs> Which is the problem. <laughs> Did you ever think you would be an officer in the union? Did you ever think you'd do more than pay dues? Hell no. Absolutely not. Why'd you do that to yourself? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, so the, uh, my, my term started in 2017 and there were, I mean, I I don't, I'm not going to get into like, like airing politics, but there were a group of people, mostly punks who were unhappy with the way that some things were going and the way some of the officers and some of the representatives were doing something. I'm being vague on purpose, you know, Mm -hmm. was the music bad. Uh, no music at all. <laughs> no music. Interesting. So like, so like, a, so like a bunch of us got together and we just kind of had like pretty informal meetings. Like, and eh, we should, you know, maybe maybe we aren't quite in, involved enough. We go to meetings, but maybe we should do more. And uh, I had to work late the day that we had a meeting about who we were going to support for nominations because officer nominations were coming up. So I worked a little later than everybody else, and I showed up to the meeting a little bit late. We're just kind of having like having a get together before the nominations took place at a, at a at a regular membership meeting that night. And I walk in, I was like, "What did I miss?" And they just kind of laughed and said, "You're going to be president." <laughs> <laughs> the punks in your union are like the Irish in the 1860s. Now you now you're reinforcing that narrative, and that's. How <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> I, I mean, it's not necessarily that every punk voted the same way. Uh, no, but I like, to th- <laughs> I like to think that the punks are pretty well informed and uh, have, the best, have the best interest of uh, membership as a whole at heart. So <laughs> do you term out? My term was up in the middle of COVID, but everything was everything was put on hold. The elections are next weekend. So a week, a week, a week, a week from tomorrow. Should we rush this out so you have uh... <laughs> <laughs> or or hold it off? Depending on <laughs> we'll put in the link if if Robert's still the president. <laughs> so I don't know if you're I don't know if you're familiar, but I I grew up uh, I grew up with one of my my favorite movies of all time is the movie Armed and Dangerous with Eugene Levy and John Candy. And have you ever have you ever seen it, Robert? I have not. I have. Okay. It's incredibly anti-union, and I wonder if it was anti-union propaganda because the plot of the whole movie is John Candy's a cop, and he gets wrongfully convicted for, like, robbing something or another and becomes a a security guard, and him and Eugene Levy uncover corruption in the union where the union's actually running a crime ring. And they... The the police union? No, the the union that they join for the security guard. The security guard union? Uh (laughs) And it, it does reinforce every negative stereotype about unions and i watching that you know that movie came out in 1986 so i was probably about five or six when it came out and uh and that shaped my perception of unions for a long time so perfect time time timeline for anti-union propaganda too yeah so what what is what is that i mean like i feel like there is definitely that you know that element in popular society do you encounter that do you know where that comes from like who's who's behind that is it is it just the big wigs who don't want the workers to organize i mean god that, that's that, that's i've been threatened by unions a number of times what did you deserve it they just you know <laughs> they, i wanted to work they <laughs> i mean the, i i think that unfortunately the success of unions and the success of organized labor over time has had the effect of kind of weakening them and the ability for people to organize and see kind of the bigger picture because you know you got the weekend and I'm taking it back to like to, to really like to 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 to, to the base not, like not the Canadian rapper the weekend but no the totally different weekend. but like I mean you you know, people people just accept a five day week well you have a five day week because people fucking died for it people accept you know an eight hour workday. Well, you have an eight-hour workday and overtime after eight because people died for it. So you take all these things that people accept as normal now, 50 years or 100 years later, they're looking at the organizations who fought for those things for the betterment of everybody. And they're not perfect. Of course, unions aren't perfect. But like you do these things that benefit the whole, and then the whole takes the thing, the, the, the fruit of that labor. It's like, cool, this is how it is now. Oh, man, why are you trying to screw me over? Do you, and, do you feel like there needs to be an update in that sense, though? I mean, you look at like the problem, especially in San Francisco with like gig workers. There's not those protections anymore. The companies are finding ways around that. For sure to exploit workers again that is kind of beyond the reach of the union i realized prop 22 was a california thing but are you, are you I'm, I'm familiar with it yeah i mean that it's crazy it's it's i mean the, the, the fact that you've got these companies that are willing to spend hundreds of millions of dollars to avoid treating their employees like workers that should tell you something man like i mean if they're spending you know billions of dollars to like you know kind of fight the the, the established you know, unionization and things like that. I think the union should get together and make a sequel to Arms and Armed and Dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> right? That, that wouldn't cost much at all. <laughs> 
Tell him how, how many pizzas John Candy ate before he died. I think it was like 40. 40 pizzas? Or 40 <laughs> by slices? Pi- by pizza, at least 40 pizzas. He ate like five pizzas. I think it was like 40 slices, yeah. 40 pie, five pies, right? Uh, I mean, not not definitely. Definitely not. That movie wasn't that good, Dave. That movie's awesome. It it terrorized me because I remember there's a part where Eugene Levy's walking around with like assless chaps. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's. (laughs) It actually does take assless for the record. Yeah, it takes place in San Francisco, I believe, and there is a scene where they go into a sex shop, and it's and it's very um, very stereotypical. It's kind of like the Blue Oyster Bar in uh, Police Academy. That like very like. You know, I think what Robert was saying, like that, he said that was a prime time. People are take it for granted so much that they they don't even have to make a movie about it because people are just taking it for granted. Also, I mean, I mean, early in the conversation before we, just before we started talking about uh, John Candy's pizzas, like nobody's saying that gig workers shouldn't be able, people who work side hustles or whatever shouldn't be able to do it, but but the employer shouldn't be able also to force people to do it, and that's and that's the difference, and that's the distinction. I don't think the employer should be able to force anybody to do anything because that's slavery. That's kind. Of, that's kind of a different thing. I think it's a co- <laughs> coercion. I think coercion is the right word. A company and uh, and the person. If I want to, if I don't want that job, I won't take it. You know. But that's like that's like the whole argument about a fifteen dollar an hour minimum wage these days. You know, Walmart just spent is spending more money lobbying to avoid paying the fifteen dollar minimum wage than they would and give their employees actual real health insurance, then they would just paying it. And I think it's kind of what Robert was saying before about like, you know, these companies spend millions of dollars lobbying against things that they could easily just probably pay less and actually do the right thing. Maybe, totally. Maybe, if we had less government, there'd be less lobbying. That's no, no. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're, we're not going to get anywhere with this. <laughs> we got the union guy on here and we're, 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 we're making it rough for you. I apologize. <laughs> like, like, like when you were talking about, you were talking about scabby before. And I mean, this is, this is a, a, you know, like an actual, an actual scenario and a, a scenario where, where we did pick it with, I think five or six other, other locals who were getting, um, were getting um, locked out of uh, locked out of a work site, a place where we had worked before uh, for an event that we had that we had worked before. The fact that they weren't hiring union labor, obviously, like kind of stuck in our craw a little bit. The fact that they were hiring people for the city minimum wage on a 1099, so forcing those, not not giving those people any worker protections, any workers comp, forcing people to be responsible for their own social security and payroll taxes. That's bullshit. And and you could not get the job. You could not work the job unless you agreed to their terms. So that is the problem. We obviously we have a disagreement. We think they should be hiring union contractors to do the work. But when they're actively fucking over the people who they are giving the work to, because I mean, at the time, the people there was just jobs were hard to come by and you're getting people who are totally desperate. That's exploitation. Absolutely, because you know they're not going to save up to pay off the the taxes that they're going to owe at the end of the. I mean, it's it's you know people living hand to mouth, and and these companies are taking advantage of that. They see a paycheck, and they're not calculating what they should be putting aside for, you know, all the different things they need to pay. And for. I, mean, I was I, like at that specific job site. I was there. It's a it's a company who preys on uh, they they prey on artists and creative types because they do art shows all over the country. And uh, they, I mean, they, they reached out, we found out about it because they reached out to like punk people who were in the union. It was like network of like punks and artists. Oh, come do this cool thing. It's going to be awesome. Man, the company you're working for is making millions of dollars and they're paying you 17 bucks an hour on a 1099. Come on. So, did, do you ever feel weird about just some of the work anyway? Like, you know, thinking of that in mind, you know, like you have this, 
you know, a hundred pound vinyl sign that's like not going to be made into a record. <laughs> right. Does that, does that bug you? I mean, <laughs> the, the industry is like, I think more wasteful than anybody can imagine if you're not in the industry, the amount of, if that, if that's what so you're referring so you say it's even worse than I imagine. <laughs> However bad you think it is, it's worse. <laughs> I mean, so is, it, is it, it funny then after a while? <laughs> it, it's funny and it's, it, it is, it is fun to see how many of the resources can get repurposed by creative types in the union. Um, including myself, my, 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 my wife and I have taken, have rescued things from the garbage and installed them all over the country. <laughs> <laughs> that should be what you campaign on. I just, I just, ins- we just installed a 30 foot, a steel tube, a 30 foot tall steel tube Christmas tree from a, uh, like a commercial store display that was going to get thrown away. It's now buried in the ground in a ghost town in Utah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you could, I feel like you could create some kind of website with just the leftover like booth shit that, that people don't use and, and, and do something where it's either like a, it's like an, an artist's exchange kind of thing where well, you just well, like, you're taking away business from the, the people that well, no, it's, it's, away then <laughs> God, it's 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 logistics though because what do you do like this thing like you want to create that warehouse for things and like people people try but like when somebody says cool here's like a 40 by 40 booth structure that's made of completely usable and reusable materials it has to leave the building today so it's called chick- chicken john chicken john <laughs> <laughs> I don't even think Chicken John's warehouse is big enough. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a warehouse. There's like four warehouses in the space that you hang things. I mean. The main company that I work for, they downsized last year after COVID. I mean, everybody in, in everybody in the industry everywhere is downsized or consolidated. And we moved from a warehouse that was about 170,000 square feet to a warehouse that was about 30,000 square feet. Think about what happened to a lot of that stuff. So, so your your wife does the same work. Yeah, we got in around the same time. We were, we were both working at a uh, we we're both working at a juice bar together, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and she was like, well, I mean, before before I was in local five ten, like I had really it was just a series of service jobs, you know, like restaurants, mostly restaurants, like sh- like shady construction jobs, a few here and there, but mostly restaurants. But um, we worked together at a juice bar, and Richard told Caroline, Richard and Caroline toured together with. Susan Fish and with a veil. And uh, Richard told Caroline about the job. So we just kind of like dip, dipped our feet in. We had a super cool boss who understood what we were trying to do and understood it was like good for our long term. So she would just put one of us on the schedule. She didn't care which one of us showed up to work. So one of us was going to work at the juice bar and whoever the other person was, was at home hustling the phones, trying to get work in the union. That's pretty, that's a, that's a nice story. Yes. What's weirder? Like a photo of you hanging off the side of a stadium or your photo in probe zine. Do I have pictures in probe? I don't, I'm sure you do. Not not those kinds of pictures. If both were sitting that, on the coffee that's table. That's my brain when I had to think real quick. <laughs> have those, have those, have those uh, issues been digitized yet? I don't think they have, have they? Uh, they have not. I tried to sell at a double of one and I tried to sell it on eBay and eBay took it down like after about two hours. <laughs> but, uh, but some dude sent me a private message message like as soon as it got shut down and said how much do you want i'll pay anything <laughs> <laughs> 
I don't, so I don't have a link for this, but Probe was one of the few punk rock fanzines that it, it also included naked pictures of your friends. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I played a show in the late nineties at one of the, uh, it was a, it was a release party for whatever the new Probe was at the time. And a girl who I just kind of started dating was the record review girl. So I'm like at this show with my new like kind of girlfriend and everybody in the room is just hanging out thumbing through looking at naked pictures of her. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, I actually I, I was at a fuckface show. I think there was like a like a 16 year old kid couldn't get in. It was like not all ages. And like Aaron snuck him in and then gave him a whole bunch of alcohol. And then he passed out. And then Adam let him like throw open his car. I mean, yeah, uh, Darren. <laughs> That seems about right. He's a father with two children now. (laughs) His wife is a big fan of the show, so. (laughs) Hi, Carrie. How's it going? (laughs) I think it's pretty awesome. We'll have have naked photos of Bill and Charlie in the uh, links. (laughs) Those will also not be available anywhere. (laughs) I I mean, so like you've been in band, you know, you do a lot of negotiating at at work or with uh, at least with the union part. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Do you feel you have like one up at a band meeting? (laughs) Do you have a one up on the rest of the band when you have a band meeting? (laughs) Well, I mean, most of the negotiations are usually around compensation in some way, shape, or form, and we all know how that works with bands. So it's really. (laughs) (laughs) Did you ever have to negotiate with with the real Artemis Pyle about using his name? (laughs) So his. This actually came up like two weeks ago. His kid, one of his kids lives in Asheville, North Carolina. And like sometime in the early thousands. I think he lives there too. Yeah, he, yeah, but I believe that he does or, or at least did. Sometime My sister said she used to see him all the time. Like she he lives was, in I mean, Asheville. He was, he was apparently around quite a bit. But one of his kids came to our show and like in the middle of the set, some like one of my friends leans up and says, hey man, that's like, like Artemis Pyle's kids back there. And uh, the kid in question was leaving the room as... Like as soon as I as soon as I heard this, so I in the microphone, I was like, "Hey man, like have a good day. Tell your old man we said what's up." And the guy, guy laughed and waved. But the, so this is like 2004 or whatever. And two weeks ago, someone was like, "Oh yeah, I heard about the time Artemis kid Artemis Pyle's kids came to the show and threatened to kick your ass for using their dad's name." I was like, "What?" That's not what <laughs> he waved at me. <laughs> it's totally different. <laughs> Yeah, no negotiations required. We just kind of did it. <laughs> I'd be pretty, I mean, that guy walked away from a fucking plane wreck. I mean, he's, he's got to be pretty tough. I wouldn't fuck with him. <laughs> he walked away from a plane wreck and made a bunch of really bad records after that. Yeah, and I think, didn't he, didn't he get arrested for like doing some weird, like, ch- he did, didn't he was a child? I don't want to say it on the, on the show without, uh. You, sh- you shouldn't say it unless you know exactly allegedly, what it is. And allegedly. I don't know what it is, so I'm not going to talk about it either. But it wasn't, it wasn't savory. <laughs> yeah, there's something, something bad. There's something, there's something that wasn't great in his, in his past other than may or may not be family members involved too yeah (laughs) (laughs) let's get back to the yeah let's get back to something that's a little bit more family oriented like the probe (laughs) (laughs) i was just gonna ask if there i mean there still sounds like there's an opportunity he's still playing there could be like a split a split seven inch (laughs) (laughs) there's a a band there's a band from somewhere in the south maybe georgia called artemis pile driver also like like a I think Artemis Pyle Driver, they were actually buddies with Artemis Pyle because they had the, they, they had a similar redneck. <laughs> I'm sure they're like a cover band. No, like no, no. They were, they're like a legit out. store. Oh, really? Band. So uh, a bunch of people said we should talk to you because you're like the guy with the real job. 
I do. So, have, I do have a real job. That part's true. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and then we talked to Craigums a few weeks ago, and he he said that you know he learned a lot from Devin Morph, like as far as like being super frugal, stretching everything out. Like you know, you've been making decent money for a long time. Did you find that really annoying? <laughs> being the Devin's frugality. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man, I'm trying to be real careful here. I know <laughs> I mean, in a, in no a comments way, is fine. <laughs> like, in, like in a legitimately positive way, one thing that like the job and the ex, I mean, it's not like we're, I mean, we're not, we're not making tech money. We're not fucking rich, rich, no, no, but like, you know, we, we're like, but you're not living job, in a closet either. No, not exactly. Like the, jo- <laughs> the job, the job pays like a respectable wage for the work that's done. You know what I mean? And, and what that has done on both tours with bands I've been in with Devin and with other folks too, is like, maybe we as a band want to do a thing but it's a thing we know we're going to lose money at. And often that is a concern for people who, you know, don't have any money and being able to pick up the slack for other folks in those situations and slack. I don't mean slack in a negative way, but being able to say, Hey, we as a group want to do this. And I'm in a, I'm fortunate enough to be in a position to contribute maybe more than I would have otherwise. So let's go do the thing and let's have fun. So that's a, that's a positive way of saying that dealing with people's frugality is, is, not necessarily always bad. <laughs> you, you sound like you're a good boss, Robert. I'm <laughs> just leave hey, it at a, that. A, a coworker <laughs> just the other day told me that it was good to have somebody flying the plane who had a mind and a soul. And I thought that was one of the kindest things anybody's ever said to me. <laughs> but we're all the touring stuff that Craig said about Devin. I mean, I don't know how much you guys edited out, but good <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> That's like that. That dude and what he has done for people's touring lives is just, you can't, like, you cannot possibly underestimate what Devin and Devin specifically and all you can eat in general did in the 90s. It was just totally, totally bonkers. Devin's got a real job now, too, though. I'm sure you heard. No, I didn't hear that. Yeah, he's been, he's worked for Trader Joe's for like 15 years now. I knew that. So he's, it's a, it's a, Better job at Trader Joe's? I mean, he's a dude at Trader Joe's. He, moved oh, he, up at- he loves Trader Joe's. I can oh tell my you God, he loves Trader He's so into Trader Joe's. It's awesome. <laughs> like he, he, he's like asking people, you know, about the items, but he's like totally serious. It's not just, oh, com- you know. oh completely. He wants to know what you think about the things at Trader Joe's and the number of, <laughs> the number of punks and punk adjacent people and ex-punks that he meets at Trader Joe's constantly, constantly amazes me. Like, like who work there. Oh, or, no, customers. Oh, customers. customers. Oh, yeah. I, thought, I, I thought you were saying that was another hidden bastion of, of punk rockers. I think it is. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a service industry job. Service industry jobs are, are the bastion for punk rockers. <laughs> well, one year we went to uh, Medieval Times for Bill's birthday, and, uh, and we started talking to the, the... You can end the story right there. <laughs> <laughs> well, we started talking to one of the... To our server, and they were telling us that there was definitely a hierarchy within the people that worked there, and both the knights were in metal bands. And they, there was a whole like metal subculture within the employees at, at Medieval Times, which makes total sense. Total like who else would want to dress up like a knight? But I mean, that's pretty awesome. No, that's great. I mean, like what, what, what if you're that guy and you're like, man, like I made it. I found my niche. I can live my best life. I can be man of war every day of the yeah, week. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. It's, man, I live inside a man of war song. <laughs> <laughs> With with better man, food, man of war runs a batting cage. <laughs> <laughs> Charlie, you got to go over there and talk him into being on the show. I'll come with you. We can give him some stickers. <laughs> I feel we, like I, I might I might make some enemies here, but I feel like ultimately this is a punk rock podcast. Man of War is Ross the Boss's wings to his his Beatles, which are the Dictators. That's fine. I, I don't. I, I mean, I know there's a lot of big Man of War fans out there, but I mean, I wouldn't consider Ross. 
I don't think I don't think I'm not worried about pissing off Manowar fans. I don't know. They're pretty tough. <laughs> they don't <done a> joust. <laughs> I'm not a huge Manowar fan, but they have their moments. And uh, you, you know the song Brothers of Metal? Every song has metal in it. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking of your knights here, and I might be misquoting the lyric a little bit, but our hearts are filled with metal and our masters we have none and we will die die for metal metal meals my son (laughs) (laughs) what do you think i think that's the ending of this episode (laughs) you could have a medieval themed man of war restaurant and just change all of the lyrics to be menu items i love that oh my god that would would also i would travel for that and batting cage. <laughs> Actually, no, we should talk Ross into just putting his putting a little nook in his batting cage. Does nook. he serve food there, Charlie? No, well, they have a, they have a soda machine. Vending machine, machine, yeah. We wear leather, we wear spikes, we are metal, <laughs> eat tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Makes Arby's look like a bunch of wusses. I, I, just, <laughs> I know, there is an Arby's nearby. <laughs> Used to be Niederstein's, now it's Arby's. Well, I, I mean, I also think that that's something that maybe like White Castle could take up because they have a castle, but there's no knights. Oh, medieval themed White White Castle has success written all over it. What do you think, Charlie? It's like a hundred years ago. They should have thought of that. <laughs> <laughs> we have square burgers and horses in chamber. And, 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 and I'll just hit the knights with hamburgers the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> and most of the White Castles aren't in the best neighborhood, so putting a moat around those things might help. <laughs> <laughs> oh man uh they blocked right. my neighborhood off from the white castle that's why like you, need a moat, you need a drawbridge it's equivalent of a moat they made it so you can't drive across queen's boulevard and they make you make a left turn right turn into traffic and there's no way to get there it's like you ever tried jaywalking no i'm saying if you're driving you can't get there <laughs> well, you watch you you watch your sliders or not <laughs> let me tell you i'll get them <laughs> So, so Robert, what what is what is the convention that you you know the regular recurring convention type that you always look forward to? Is there one that like just just gets you? Whether it's like what you have to do for it or like what you just the the people involved in it, like which are the ones that are like really stand out for you? I like the big ones because time flies and actually 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 makes your brain churn. It makes it easier to like you're not just in the doldrums. You're like you know figuring shit out. So Dreamforce is like the big dog and it uh the area that i have typically been in charge of is like just it's it's a lot there's tons of moving parts and it's actually actually interesting and most of the people involved in that area are more or less consistent from year to year so there's actually people who some people who i genuinely like who are involved with it so that's good is that the one bill that you go to so yeah so so this is a weird that's the one like the Foo fighters play and stuff yes this is a weird situation because salesforce actually took a photo of me that could potentially be a banner that robert hangs oh is this why you asked yeah (laughs) <laughs> oh, this is great. So like in 2019, they took, I had like a photo shoot and I know other, a bunch of other people that, you know, had the banners, like, you know, 20 are you, foot are you, uh, pictures. What? I, that, I, that's what I was, <laughs> that's what I was getting at. Like, is it for like the hall of heroes or whatever? I, I don't know. They just like hang them randomly. Cause I, I'm, a, yeah. I'm a Salesforce MVP. Uh huh. Uh-huh. You could be an application going on a wall too. It could be anything. It's just like the picture exists. That's all I know. Well, that's oh, what I'm saying. Like, you can put a booger on me. Is like anyone going to trace it back to you? <laughs> I mean, we got we got ways. More, 
more importantly, I'm hoping that I can liberate it when the show's over. Yeah, I, mean, I, I was going to ask you. Absolutely, yeah. I need, I need, I need to like, get that. If I get caught leaving the building, it's like, no, 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 it's cool. I know Bill. He said it's fine. <laughs> so I was at Dreamforce, I think in 2010, and I looked at Caroline's Instagram. There was a picture. Like, I, I walked by, there was like a really weird, racist Stevie Wonder balloon statue. I don't know who, what they were thinking, but it just didn't look right. <laughs> And, uh, and then I looked at my phone and Caroline had taken a picture of it. And I was like, why are you here? And she was like, I'm at work. <laughs> so that's, that's how I found out you guys work there. <laughs> but, but then, uh, I was at the, I was at Dreamforce in 2019 and there was a protest at the keynote where I guess, uh, Salesforce has some like ice contract or something. So there was yep. like people yep. and all of a sudden, like a whole bunch of people came in screaming and this guy had like a sign. And then later I was like, hang out with Floyd. And I was like, do you think Robert like let open the door for those people? And <laughs> Floyd was like, Robert's the president of the union. That would never happen. <laughs> uh, that's going to be an issue for facility security. Not really in my wheelhouse. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I'm just saying you might've had a key though. <laughs> you might have accidentally left the door open, but uh, you know it as far as i understand it was like salesforce employees who were protesting yeah actually, that, that, so. that, that was that was what we were told at the time also that it was all internal so i mean it may well have been people who were already they inside had, they had their were, own key and their own pass and they put their own job on the on the one of our, so the the year after stevie wonder played so this would have been 2011 uh metallica played and before they did the events at like uh now they're doing like AT&T Park are usually off site by the time, like by the, by the mid teens, I think they started doing all, all the, the, the entertainment performances off site, but Metallica was actually, they played in Moscone center in the same room where all the keynote speeches are. So you have to, you know, there's a keynote speech during the day and then everybody files out and then an army of workers come in and clear out all the seats and clear out all that and send, set up the stage, stage hands are setting up the stage and we're setting up everything around it for the Metallica show. And then when Metallica's over, we just flip it all back over again so they can have a keynote the next morning. MC Hammer played the keynote the next morning, by the way. Yeah, but, so uh, I re- he, he, he played, he plays every year because he lives around the corner. <laughs> he lives around the corner. He, he's buddies with Benioff or something like that. But I think, <laughs> I think Lars is too. But so we set everything up for Metallica and then we've got like, you know, three or four hours to kill for the show. So we're just basically there on standby. Only time I've seen Metallica, by the way, which is kind of weird. But, Were um, they good or was it terrible? Oh, that's, I mean, it's always terrible at why conventions. Can it, why can't it be both? <laughs> I mean, but the highlight of my night was watching, you're seeing all these convention attendees, and it's like a tech convention. There's some normal people, there's some tech bros, there's some like nerds, whatever, but they're there for the entertainment. They're there for like the social aspect of whatever it is. And they're filing down the escalators at Moscone Center, and they're going into the big open, uh, you know, A hall room that's been turned into a rock and roll concert venue. And I got my eye on one dude, he's a long hair, and he's got his battle vest on, he's got his spikes on. <laughs> <laughs> You can see him from a mile away, and this dude is fucking juiced. He's so <laughs> and he gets to the door, and security turns him around. Oh. And he, his <laughs> he should have just left his suit on. He probably was wearing it all day. <laughs> He's like, I worked for Salesforce for five years just for this moment. But watching like, that, watching that group of people watch Metallica was more fun than watching Metallica. They covered. Dream- <laughs> They covered Green Hell, and I was like, do you people know what you're listening to? <laughs> <laughs> They're all just waiting for Enter Sandman, and they can go home. Yeah, basically, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, I just remember I went to one of the concerts with my coworker, and, like, there was 
a lot of people just like totally, you know, they go to conventions and just, you know, do bad things. And she was just like, what is this? What's the dress code here? Business casual sex? <laughs> well, so, I mean, if you've been to San Francisco, you know that like a couple of blocks, especially in one direction from the convention center, like, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a different world. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, my old rehearsal studio was like three blocks from Moscone. So I'd get off work super late, go to practice and like strewn on the street, like the street where like all like all the strip clubs and all the 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 crackheads and like all of the bad, the, the regular street activity and the really bad street activity, like the 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 center for all of that in San Francisco. And there's just. Salesforce lanyard strewn all over the <laughs> I one time stepped over a passed out attendee so I could get into my rehearsal space. And I was like, buddy, I don't think you practice here. I think you should. <laughs> well, it just, I mean, there's something like 170,000 people attend and it, it's not, it's bigger than San Francisco can hold. Oh, go for sure. People so stay all it's, up and it's down the kind of messed, Like everyone I know who works there is just like, yeah, I just go on vacation that weekend, that week. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure a lot of those attendees and, 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 and people with passes are local also. So it's not all out of towners, but like, it, I mean, it just shuts down. It, it chokes downtown off completely. Yeah. It's like every, ho- it's not just the Moscone Center. It's every movie theater, every hotel. I'm oh, sure yeah. the people in, that, in a like two mile radius. I'm yeah. sure the people that own like the full house house are like super pissed off that week because everyone's <laughs> going to stare at it. Yeah, I don't know if you've been in San Francisco, but those people are pissed off every week. <laughs> <laughs> so assuming you don't win re-election. You're, wait, we're gonna wait, hang on. We're assuming that <laughs> I would like to introduce you to my opponent. <laughs> <laughs> What's 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 the future look like as far as like you know what what else is there to do? Are you talking about my future or the future of your the union? future and the future of the union? I mean, I look I look forward hopefully to a situation in a few years where me, uh, Caroline and myself both can kind of like shift gears down to what this was when we started, you know, which was you know working in spurts here and there and touring more and traveling more in between. Then it was all touring. Both of us just wanted to go on tour. I think it would be great to be, you know, have like a period of, of pre-retirement where you're working big stretches and making enough money to live for a while and then being able to travel. That's, that sounds great. If I can, if the, if the next phase can be part-time work, whenever this current phase is over, I think, I think that's, I think that's ideal. Is there anything you need to get past in the union to make that better? If you're going to be selfish? <laughs> no, no, we're good. We're good. We're so we're, we're set up very nicely for people. I feel like this, I feel like, our the way our union is set up for somebody new that comes in it's sort of like a choose your own adventure thing like if you want to just like like put your head down and work three thousand hours a year and just make a boatload of money and you're willing to do whatever and work yourself into the ground that opportunity is there for you and there are people who will take advantage of it and like just work you to death and you make make a ton of money or if you want to like work you know part-time and not really be beholden to anyone and not have any responsibility but make enough money to get by that opportunity is there too and then, and there's pl- there's plenty of spaces in the middle. I hope I'm I hope I'm filling some of that middle ground. I don't want to I don't want to be in the work myself into the ground category too much. But um, you know, it's, it's we're we're set we're set up very nicely for people to like figure out where like get in where they fit in, so to speak. You know. And as far as like getting in, like what's what's the best approach? 
just to get to get in. I mean, we, we we have a, we have a, we have a formal a formal apprenticeship program. Our apprenticeship program is is uh, is state accredited. So you're, there's you know there's an application process, and there is a board who reviews all the applicants and then and then votes on them. And uh, I mean, when we were busier, we were taking in somewhere in the neighborhood to twenty or thirty apprentices a year because we were uh, we we needed more people, and we were losing anywhere from ten to fifteen people a year to retirement. So we'll see we'll see how the dust kind of settles after COVID. I'm sure that we're probably going to lose some members. We've more members have retired than normal. So uh, if you want to come out, put in whatever good word I can with Richard and see if we can't get you through the apprenticeship process. Is that is that a problem though? I mean, is, is your industry a lot like we hear a lot about? that with plumbers and electricians and stuff, the jobs that people aren't gravitating towards as much, even though they pay well and they make a good living. is it, Do you fall into that category as well? Uh, short answer, yes. Yeah, definitely. It's made difficult also because, you know, as we talked about earlier, the whole industry exists kind of like in the shadows. Like it's not like, you know, you need a plumber, you know, you need an electrician, you know, you need a garbage person, but you might not know that you need an arena rigger to hang a truss rig over your 40 by 40 booth structure. <laughs> <laughs> so there might be somebody who's perfectly suited to do that, but they might not know that that opportunity exists for them. <laughs> so, so, I mean, outreach to, to new potential applicants and apprentices is, is a huge a huge challenge, but it's also like a, like a, a pretty awesome opportunity because you know, we've turned a whole bunch of folks and I'm not just talking about the punks here, but we've turned a bunch of folks onto it. They're like, Oh man, this is great. This is perfect. I fit in here. This is awesome. I can you make a living, support my family. I'm in. And, um, that, that part feels really, really good when you can take somebody who's like been trying to figure out like where they can fit. And I'm, I'm speaking kind of like in a societal work sense, you know, and, uh, and help him help people like that find a home. It's pretty cool. It's kind of like a cult. Exactly. <laughs> so speaking of which, isn't there, I mean, I feel like there's a big overlap between union workers and Freemasons. Are there a lot of, are there a lot of, uh, a lot of Masons in your, uh, in your union? Uh, elks, not Masons. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> I think there's a lot of uh, Freemasons. The Masons, the don't, the Masons don't talk about it. The Masons are smarter than that. That's true. I think, <laughs> I think, I think uh, Mass Transit has a lot of Masons. Okay. Who, my my uncle they? was one. Who joins the Shriners? Shriners aren't that cultish, though, are they? They got the hats. Oh, all right. And they, do, they do have better hats. It's, it's no fun if it's not cultish. <laughs> it, 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 definitely feel, it feels cultish when you're at like a hardcore show and you're like kind of sitting in the back and you're talking about ridiculous work things. With other people, <laughs> and all of the other punks, like what the fuck? Are <laughs> and all we're talking about is this four person or that lead or like this other show that's coming up. And is there going to be weekend work? Because that's overtime. Everybody wants the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> one of one of one of our apprentices is, is in uh, a bunch of hardcore bands, and uh, and she texts when when we were working would text me all the time like. Hey, we just got offered to play the show. Do you think there's any work on this weekend? Because, you know, I would love to take the overtime if it's there. <laughs> Don't know if I should say yes or no. Do you think this night's going to be going late? Everybody's always scheming. Even when you get a good job, you're still scheming to figure out the best scenario. <laughs> so, so if you're going to be in a band and, and, and be a rigger, make sure you're, you're the person who does the booking. Oh, for sure. That's Absolutely. <laughs> well, could you travel, could you travel to other cities and work their conventions? I only have a couple of times and whether or not you can actually work um, really depends on regulations in those, in, in those cities. I was actually, I was going to go to Chicago for a, um, for a different Salesforce event uh, before COVID, but that didn't happen. So it's but not I, like you could, it's not like you could like be like, Oh, I'm going to go, my band's going to go play South by Southwest and I'm going to work it. No. Although, I, although the only time I went to South by Southwest, I had a conversation with one of the workers who was there setting up the convention part of it. 
and he did not take kindly to me criticizing his work. <laughs> Which, to be fair, himself. he was totally justified in being mad because <laughs> I was drunk and I was definitely being an asshole. <laughs> That's the nichest snark I've ever heard. (laughs) You took all the elitism from punk rock and put it towards your job. (laughs) I'm just, I'm just saying the PVC was popping out of the panels on the gym wall. (laughs) And the bases and uprights weren't aligned properly at all. It was just all messed up. That upright should have been an eight feet. They were 10. And the whole thing was just all messed up. It was a registration area. Come on. One of the lights was burned out, one of the reg counters, and I knew the contractor he worked for, so I could tell him where to get the parts and what crate it was in. He really didn't like that. (laughs) (laughs) That's it, kids. The gig is up. The cops are here, and your mom is going jails, hospitals, and all your friends' houses wondering where you've been. Tune in next week for another fascinating, mesmerizing, and absolutely unmissable episode. And be sure to get on the list and follow the boys on social media at Killed by Desk. This podcast is produced by Jesse Cannon. And if you enjoyed this conversation, there's tons more where this came from. For only $5 a month, you can get full episodes with each of our guests for a total of five episodes per month. Want to help us out with some gas money and to get us to the next show? We have merch and more at killedbydesk.com.